But we are grateful to be together and uh, going into our, our, our second week and concluding our conversation in the series entitled Waiting for When. We started this conversation last week and we really were striving to embrace this idea of someday. And that while it can often create images of grandeur and wonderful, amazing things that we all want to pursue in life, all too often we tend to find ourselves disappointed and sometimes left wanting. And when we talk about this idea of waiting on God, it's not easy. It's pretty challenging. But today I want to talk about how we can learn to find contentment in every situation. Trusting the outcome to God's wisdom and timing. Because at the end of the day, His wisdom, His timing, His plans, His purposes in our lives are perfect. They're without flaw. But we all have a tendency to want what we want and to want it now. If we're all honest, we can, we can, we can tell of a time where we just wanted what we wanted and we wanted it now. What's that, what's that commercial? It's my money and I want it now. I don't remember what the... But I, I once heard of a man who walked to the top of a hill one day to talk to God. And the man asked, God, what, what's a million years to you? And God said, eh, it's about a minute. And then the man asked, well, God, what's a, what's a million dollars to you? God said, a penny. And then the man asked, God, can I have a penny? And God said, sure, just give me a minute. But the reality is we... The best and most important things in in our lives are worth waiting for. They take time. I mean, anything that's worth being done is worth taking the time to go through. And we have to wait for things to grow, and we have to wait for things to develop. And all too often, we can get impatient in the process. But good things take time. A, A good marinade takes time, you know, to get infused into the meat. Anything coming off a smoker grill takes time. Healthy relationships and friendships in life, they, they take time. They, they're developed over a season. And most certainly, our, our daily journey with God. It's truly a daily walk. And it takes time as we grow and we develop and we understand God's plan and purpose for our lives. But how often do we get impatient in the waiting? I believe the Bible, and, and more specifically, the, the Apostle Paul, have some important truths that we can embrace to help us see God's work in the world around us and that will help us find contentment no matter what the situation. This morning, our, our text is found in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. If you don't, you can jump on the Uversion Bible app and, and uh, search events. Neighborhood Church, and you'll find our notes and scripture references there. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says this. Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, and he writes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this 
through him who gives me strength. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can find strength in you. We can, we can find hope in the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, as he went to the cross and was resurrected so that we could step into life and a relationship with you. But Lord, we, we all too often lose sight of what you're doing and we get impatient in the waiting. And so we ask today, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd help us to be patient, that you'd help us to pursue your purpose in life. And that as we step out in faith, that we would learn what it means to be faithful to you. God, we love you and we thank you and we commit this time to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a familiar passage of Scripture to, to many of us, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And it's one that probably brings a lot of, of wonderful feelings to our lives and it's quoted regularly. And earlier in the, in, the, in the passage, Paul describes having joy and peace that transcends circumstances, transcends understanding. See, Paul's not waiting for God to give him joy or happiness. He's already, he already has these things because of Jesus because of the life of Jesus. And, and all too often, we find ourselves waiting to be happy. Well, if this happens in my life, then I'm going to be happy. And if I can get just to this place, then I'll be content. And we find our, our happiness be, being circumstantial, and we strive, and we strain, and we, we try. And the things that would bring us happiness remain elusive. So what are the situations in which Paul finds this contentment and joy? Because he says that he is content when he has abundance. More than enough. I think we could all probably be content in that. I've got more than enough. Yes! But he also says he's content when he doesn't have as much as he's used to having. Or he thinks he should have or wants to have that comfort that life should bring. Paul says he abounds in every situation, regardless of what's going on. He's learned to find contentment. And Paul's word for contentment is, is a, a Greek word, autarkeia, autarkeia. And it's this word that, that talks about sufficiency. The regular term used for a self-sufficiency which is altogether independent of circumstances it's not relying on what's going on there's a self-sufficiency so how can this kind of contentment be realized in our lives i mean we all look at paul and we're like well yeah but that's paul he's smarter and better and he was an apostle and you know he was he was the guy but how can I find contentment in my life? And there's, there's three things I think we can consider today. The first is that circumstances change, but the inner working of God's presence won't. Our circumstances in life are always changing. It seems like just, like just when we get comfortable, things change. But the power and the presence of God at work in our lives, that promise never changes. God is always with us. 
The important thing for us to remember is even though we will experience these mountaintop and valley experiences in life, that God's power and presence at work will never change and it will never stop. That's what we're promised. And we often dream of the mountaintop experiences with God. We all want to be on the top of the mountain with God, not having to deal with the the difficulties of life. And typically, we dream of that place when we're in the midst of challenges. When we're in the the midst of uncertainty, we dream of being on the mountaintop. But we often have the wrong view of what God is desiring to do on the mountain and conversely in the valley because we long for something else. The truth is we would never long for the mountaintop if we'd not experienced the valleys. If everything was just good in life, we would never desire something else. And so God allows us to walk through challenges. He, he allows us to walk through difficult times so that we can engage and appreciate what He has for us. Had we never experienced the mountaintop, we would not seek to return to that place of understanding God's goodness and His greatness in our lives, but we might remain in the valley forever. Have you ever been in a season where stuff was so bad, maybe you're in a season now, where it's so difficult in life, you can't see past the the next challenge, and you just kind of throw your hands up and go, well, maybe this is just my lot in life. Maybe this is just what God has for me, a miserable life of existence where nothing good happens, where no blessing ever comes. I just have to walk through the darkness. See, if we just saw the mountaintop from the valley, we, we might think it's, it's unreachable and never be willing to climb and strive and strain for it. We may find ourselves in a place where we're just like, I just give up. And while the valley affords us the protection of the mountain, we're, we're often placed in the valley to escape the dangers of the mountain. Because believe it or not, there are dangers in the mountaintop experience with God. Dangers like arrogance and pride and even complacency, where we get to that place where life is so good, we're experiencing such incredible blessing that we somehow begin to believe that we did it ourselves. We've gotten to this place and look what I've amassed and my life is so amazing because I worked hard for it. I did an honest day's work. I was good to people. I treated people well. There you go. Aren't I amazing? And we get to that place where we begin to fall into the lie that we somehow brought about the good in our life. We often fail to realize that we are in need of God's presence just as much on the mountaintop as we need Him in the valley. To keep us in that place of humility, to keep us in that place of, of, of need of God's power and presence, His touch in our lives daily. Whether things are good or things aren't. We need His power and presence at work in our life. Have you ever gone hiking in a, in a higher altitude? It's interesting that the higher up you go, 
the harder it gets to breathe. There's people that will actually go and, and train in higher altitudes to, to grow, kind of grow accustomed to the strain on their, on their lungs and on their breathing. But mountains can be so high that the, the air is so thin and we require that which is outside of ourselves if we're to survive and function at our best. Right? We see these documentaries of these people that go and climb Mount Everest and all these incredibly high mountains where they, they need these breathing apparatuses and masks to go past certain altitudes because it be, gets, begins to get so difficult to breathe. But the truth of the matter is when we are climbing with God, when He is taking us to that mountaintop, we, we need the same type of equipment. The Holy Spirit becomes our oxygen tank and, and the mask that we don to take us to heights we can't imagine obtaining on our own. Because we can't obtain them on our own. It's only through the power and the presence of God. See, Psalm 104, verse 8 says, They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valley. They flow among the hills. God takes us to the mountaintops, and God walks with us in the valley. His presence is constant in our lives. But we have to come back to a place of understanding that no matter what the circumstance, the power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives will never change. It's always available. The reality is God is at work in in and through us when we choose to trust fully in Him, no matter where we find ourselves. Valleys can be so low that the protection of the mountain seems to make the sun disappear for most of the day. Have you ever been in a season where it just seemed like there was no way out? The situation was so dire. The darkness was so overwhelming that it seemed like it would never end. The grief was so real. The hurt, the pain, the longing, the desperation. And we find ourselves in that place of saying, God, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I can't handle this for much longer. This is where we rely on what we know and not what we feel. We have to, we have to, to press into what we know to be true in Scripture, the promises of God that will get us through that season of, of, of time where we don't feel like anything is happening, where we don't feel like God is present. We have to rely on what we know. We know the sun comes up every day when the clouds and mountains obscure its brightness and warmth. We we know that God gives us another another chance, a do-over, if you want to call it that. The past is gone. We can't redo it. And we have a new opportunity to step into God's presence, to His promise. And at times, this is all we need is the knowledge of that consistency to make our time in the valley more, more bearable, that God is working, He's moving. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I can't see it, but I know He's with me. But we have to be careful not to stay in the valley too long. When God is desiring, we climb to the mountaintop to see the wonder of His creation and His promises for our lives. We can't stay put. 
He wants us to see he can handle any valley between the mountains. He, the reality is God puts the onus on us. He says, trust me. Step out in faith, which means you've got to take, take a step. You've got to put one foot in front of the other. Faith becomes an action word. But often we want an elevator or, or maybe one of those little, little beamy, beamy type things that you see on Star Trek. You know, beam me up, Scotty. Just get me out of this mess. We want a quick fix. And he does that once in a while. Some of those desperate moments, God will take us out of the mire. He'll take us out of the stuff. He'll deliver us. But most of the time, there are lessons and experiences he wants us to learn and gather that will make the mountaintop even greater. Knowing what we've walked through. Knowing what God has gotten us through will make that, that time on the mountain so much more precious. See, God is working in every situation and every circumstance. We just have to be willing to trust in His plan and His purpose. It's on us. So no matter what the circumstance is, God is always working. We also need to realize that genuine contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. See, our sufficiency can't be found in what we think we can do and, and how great we think we, we you know, and, and talented and experienced we think we are. It's got to be found in Jesus. The truest form of contentment is found in walking daily with Jesus. Now, before you say, you know, thank you for the Sunday school listen, lesson, you know, gold star to you, just, just hang with me for a second here. Contentment, if you look it up in the dictionary, is defined as a state of happiness and satisfaction. State of happiness and satisfaction. So let's look back at our text. Paul says in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. See, Paul's word for contentment in verse 11 is that Greek word, autarkeia. This is the word regularly used in that day to describe a self-sufficiency or self-reliance independent of circumstances. It was sufficiency independent of what was going on. But Christian contentment should similarly not depend on external things. Happiness, your, your satisfaction in life should not be reliant on what's happening. Because then your happiness and satisfaction is going to rely on what's happening. And your life is going to be like this. And your spiritual Faith in Jesus is just going to be all over the map. This contentment secret is also not found within ourselves as many pop culture voices might want us to believe. You can, you, you can be your best you. And if you just try hard enough, you can, be a, you can self-realize all the things that need to exist in your life. Just live your truth. Because it's your truth. 
And we get to this place where we begin to think that as long as I'm working hard on myself, that I will get to the place that I need to be. John R.W. Stott says it well. He says, Thus, genuine contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ's sufficiency. This is why godliness plus contentment equals great spiritual gain. See, when we strive for the things of God, we will be content no matter what we face in life. We can learn to trust in the sufficiency of what God has promised us, setting aside the priorities and the half promises that the world will give you. That if you just try hard enough, life will be grand. So what promises do we need to hold on to? What, what promises in the Word of God do we need to cling to when we are struggling? Well, here we go. You ready? Rapid fire. God's promises never failed. Joshua 21.45 God is always good. Psalm 119.68 God is always with me. Joshua 1.9 God is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 God is kind and compassionate. Isaiah 54.10 God designed me for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 You guys getting all these? Just write them. Just want to make sure you're God loves me deeply no matter what. Romans 8, 38 and 39. God gives me power for my life. 2 Timothy 1, 7. God's presence brings joy. Psalm 16, 11. God will fill me to overflowing with hope. Romans 15, 13. God will strengthen and help me. Isaiah 41, 10. God will give you wisdom. James 1, 5. God promises you an abundant life. John 10, 10. God has a plan for your life and for mine. Jeremiah 29, 11. And God can be trusted. Hebrews 10, 23, which says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Do you believe that this morning? We can trust God that He is accomplishing His plan and His purpose in our lives no matter what we face, no matter what culture says, God is faithful. And if we truly have faith in God's timing, it is fully reliant on our faithfulness to God's plan. I spent time with a friend in the past several weeks and we were talking about faith and he was helping define faith and he said it's an action word faithfulness it's this willingness to understand that as we step out in faith in God's plan and purpose we have to step into his plan and purpose see to truly walk in faith as it pertains to the promises of God requires a level of faithfulness in the way we live and pursue God's plans and purposes we don't just get to sit back on our, on our spiritual recliner and say, okay, God, whenever you're ready, wave your little God-like magic wand and make everything great in my life. That's not how it works. We have to step in. And perhaps in our times of, of waiting on God to do something, we can understand that God is always moving and His greatest desire is that we would choose to move with Him. See, we want to run out in front of God. 
Sometimes I see God almost as that, that heavenly father who's got us by the hand, and he's like, come on, I, I promise it's going to be good. We're going to jump into the pool, and you don't have to be scared. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you, but I need you to take the step. See, one of the most popular verses in the Bible is, is the, the last part of this passage of Scripture that, that, that Paul is sharing in Philippians 4.13. But particularly for athletes, right? It seems like every athlete will throw this, this verse up on a placard or something. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Another translation says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Sounds great, right? I can do all things. It's very poetic. Sounds good. It looks great on a t-shirt. People are even tattooing it on their bodies now. Philippians 4.13, baby. All things through Christ who gives me strength. The reality is, Paul just finished writing about how our contentment in life must not be found in ourselves and our strength, but instead in God's strength and sufficiency. So he just finishes that conversation and then he says that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because I'm content. I'm content no matter what's going on. In essence, Paul is saying because I've learned to be content in God's sufficiency no matter what the situation I'm in, I can do anything God calls me to do through Christ, who is my source of strength. And this is a powerful and profound statement from Paul. Why? Because of where he's at the time he writes this letter. Do you remember? He was under house arrest. He was incarcerated. When he said, I am content no matter what's going on in life. So how do we navigate these seasons of uncertainty and, and waiting when perhaps we can't physically see God moving? The pastor and theologian N.T. Wright says in uh, an interview with Relevant Magazine, in that period of waiting... It's like when you sow a seed in the ground in the fall, in the autumn, and, and you want to be impatient. You want to say, I planted the seed. I want something to grow straight away, please. But you have to wait through the winter. During the winter, it isn't that nothing is happening. It's that the seed is germinating out of sight underground. It needs to be there. In the spring, when the new shoots happen, it looks sudden to us. Because we haven't seen anything going on until then, but actually, stuff has been going on underground. Again and again, God works underground in our lives, in our imaginations, in our personal circumstances, and in the wider world, and then suddenly, something new happens. A new project, a new moment in our lives, and we're astonished at it. Have you ever been in that place where it seems like nothing's going on, and then boom, God brings about something great. A door opens. An opportunity reveals itself. 
See, when we can remember that faith in God's timing requires an active response to his plan on our part, we should always be prayerfully walking in obedience to Scripture and the Holy Spirit's leading. We have to do our part. We have to step out. We have to trust God completely. That He is who He says He is and that He is doing what He said He would do. I can't imagine being Abraham. He's been promised a child. He's been promised He'd be the father of many nations. He's old. They have a son. And then God says, take him up the mountain and he's right about here. And God says, hang on. I'm going to fulfill my promise. If we aren't waiting for when, what what are we doing? If we aren't in that place of being confident and waiting on God, then what are we doing? We have to be willing to place our trust in Him. See, Isaiah gives hope to God's people in the midst of a difficult season. In Isaiah 40, verse 30, he said, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That encourages us, yeah? When you're exhausted, when you're, when you're worn out, when you're tired, there's a promise. But see, Isaiah 40 was set during a time of exile and upheaval for God's people. This was not a happy time for the nation of Israel. God had judged the Israelites because they were disobedient, allowing the Babylonians to conquer them and, and, and to take them off into cap- captivity. And there's been those times in our own lives where we've not obeyed, where we've not stepped into the power and the presence of God. We've been disobedient. And God has to bring about an opportunity for us to learn to step back into His plan. See, the first section of Isaiah describes the judgment of God's people and why it has come. But in chapter 40, God wants to comfort His people and give them hope in His promise of restoration. God is always restoring. He's always renewing. He's always healing. He's always providing. But he's doing it in his time and in his perfect will. See, actually waiting on God requires a complete trust in him. Total, complete trust. That means we don't get to one day say, I trust you, and the next day say, I'm going to do it on my own. I got this. And that is what God is doing in the midst of the waiting. And as we surrender completely and put our trust in Him, He's faithful to bring about the restorations in our lives, our relationships, our families, our marriages, our finances. Fill in the blank. And He's willing to bring the restoration that only He can bring. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we prepare to worship God. And as we spend these next few minutes in worship, would you ask this question? What do you need Him to restore today? And are you willing to surrender that need to Him? Let's take these next few moments to do that as we worship.